welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello and thank you for joining us today. We often hear that it's not a good idea to put too much information in a single presentation slide or similar pieces of advice. What we don't often hear is the science behind this. Today, our special guest will tell us a lot about this. Mona Moisala is a brain researcher with passion for public speaking. She's now working at the University of Helsinki as a doctoral candidate specializing in cognitive neuroscience. In her most recent research, she has been focusing on how the brain deals with information overload and what happens in the brain when, for example, people are trying to multitask. She believes that presenters can benefit a great deal from understanding how the brain absorbs and processes information. Hello, Mona. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you start telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, so um, like you said in the introduction, I'm currently working on my PhD in psychology. And I should be graduating next year, which I'm looking forward to. And about my research, um, basically what I'm doing now is I'm studying two kind of broader topics. And the first one is exactly what you mentioned. It's brain overload. So what happens in the brains of people when they're experiencing information overload? For example, when they're trying to multitask. Um, multitasking is something that humans are actually really bad at. I don't know if someone listening to this podcast is now saying, wait a minute, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm driving my car at the same time or I'm riding my bike or whatever and I'm doing it perfectly fine, right? But people are able to do things like this because really only one of the things they're doing requires their concentration. So, I mean, if you're right now driving a car and uh, you're listening to this podcast, you're really actually only concentrating on the podcast, right? Uh, but if something surprising happens, like someone jumps on the street, your attention is, is, is immediately grabbed by that new situation and you stop listening to this podcast. And we're still kind of perplexed about what it is in the brain that makes it so difficult for us to multitask. There's no reason why we theoretically shouldn't be able to do it. But there's some inherent property in the brain that makes it really difficult for us. So that's one thing that I'm studying. And just quickly, another topic that I'm also really um, interested in that I'm also studying is um, the fact that we're spending more and more time using digital technology in our everyday lives. Um, we're interested in, in finding out how this might affect our brains and the way that our brains function. So one example is that um, a lot of the time when we're at our computer or on our smartphone, we're constantly doing a lot of things uh, basically at the same time or in really fast succession. Like we're quickly checking our email, uh, listening to the news at the same time, quickly checking Facebook and so forth. And people are kind of concerned about um, if that affects our ability to focus on just doing one thing at a time. I personally am also kind of um, worried about this. So this is another topic that I'm studying at the moment. Mm -hmm. 
And as I mentioned, you have a passion for public speaking. Since when you are into public speaking? Well, I kind of uh, consider myself really a beginner as a public speaker. I mean, I've of course, I've been lecturing at the university for a few years, but more recently, I've been doing it more and more outside of the university as well. And now I'm working with Speakers Forum, for example, doing some some work outside of the university. Um, but I kind of want to keep an outsider's perspective on that world as well, like kind of a researcher's perspective, like, okay, what does the science tell us about what makes a good public speaker and how can something like brain research help someone become a better public speaker? But of course, yes, I do, I do give talks as well. And it's something that I'm getting more and more into. I, I think it's an area where a person can develop themselves constantly And I've, I've always been deathly, deathly afraid of public speaking. I've had the worst phobia about it. And I've just worked on it really, really hard for years and years. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm no longer, um, just focused on staying alive when I'm doing <laughs> public speaking. And now I have some energy to actually try to, um, sort of make myself a better public speaker and kind of do a little bit of, try different things when I'm doing public speaking. Uh, there was one, one event that I did last week and um, I was feeling relaxed enough to try something a little bit different. And you and I, Oscar, we attended this seminar a few weeks ago that was all about uh, how to be a better presenter. And there was one tip that stuck with me, which was really, really simple. But it was that you don't always have to start your presentation by stating who you are and what you're going to be talking about. But you might want to start off being a little bit more dramatic. And that's what I did in my, my previous talk. And I was super excited that I had the courage to do it. And people really liked it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Definitely. This, this, um, this event that we, we were together, you were also one of the speakers and you show really a great level. So, so I can see that all the, all the effort you have been doing is having, is paying off now. Mm. But what was your original motivation to explore this topic that we're going to cover today about presentations in the brain? Well, I was actually just happily working away uh, at the university. And then Timo Sorri from Havain uh, contacted me and he actually brought up the idea of, of kind of uh, giving a brain researcher's perspective on presentation giving. It was his idea and it really kind of set off a light bulb in me. Like, of course, there's so much that brain research and research in general can uh, benefit Uh, presentation giving and public speaking. There's a lot that presenters can benefit from research. And, and even what I personally study is applicable to public speaking. So that's really how I got into this, this area. And I'm super excited to kind of take it even further in the future. Awesome. And what you dislike the most of a typical presentation? Well, I, I have a pet peeve. It's something that I just, I cannot stand. And it <laughs> happens in like 90% of all presentations. And this is when people have slides that are full of text, right? Most presentations, there's the, the presenter who's speaking, but at the same time, they're showing a lot of text on a screen. And this drives me absolutely insane because 
everyone, we've all been, you know, in the audience listening to one of these presentations and we, we've been thinking, oh, oh my God, I, I cannot read this text and listen to this person simultaneously. It's impossible. And yet somehow most people, when they're themselves giving a presentation, they somehow forget this fact and they do the same mistake again. And I've been, even been to conferences where like some of the top researchers uh, in the world who study attention and they study uh, multitasking and, and they themselves are giving these terrible presentations and it just drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a habit that has been for so many years. And as you say, it's so easy to, to fall in the same mistake. And what are the most important things we should know about the brain, uh, brain friendly presentations? Well, I guess my main point really is that the brain has a lot of these kind of hardwired limitations that just uh, are in every single person's brains. They've always been there. There's not much that we can do about them, um, but we can learn to work with them in a way. So if you understand about what the limitations of the brain are, you can kind of use that to your advantage to be a more effective communicator and to give better presentations. So as an example, um, the amount of information that the brain can absorb at one time is actually quite limited. It's kind of like there's this filter at the very sort of front, at the very beginning of brain processing that just lets in a little bit of information at a time. And I think a lot of presenters forget this uh, when they're presenting themselves. And they especially forget that uh, when they're giving a presentation, they're usually, usually the expert in the topic that they're talking about, and the audience doesn't know much about what they're talking about. Um, a really stereotypical example is like an engineer who gives, you know, a really lengthy, complicated technical um, presentation at some at some meeting, and nobody is able to really take in what what they're saying. So, what should be done is is that amount of information should be really narrowed down to just a few really relevant key points, and the emphasis should be on making those points as clear and as obvious and as sort of important to the audience as possible, and and really getting rid of all of that excess information. It's never going to reach the brain anyway, to be honest. Another example is memory. So our, our, our ability to remember things is, is also very limited. There's only, um, you know, if, if you hear a really good presentation, even if, if the presenter is really exciting and, and really charismatic, you might still walk away from the presentation not really remembering what was being said. You remember it was a, a good presentation, basically. Mm, yeah. You liked the speaker, but you don't really remember the actual facts that were being said. And even if you are, even if you put effort into making sure your audience actually learns something new, it's still going to be just a few main points that they're going to remember the next day. So really, again, trying to put all of your effort into making those few things as memorable as possible. Mm -hmm. So if you could summarize your points now, would be? I guess it would be the limitations of the brain. So the brain only takes in a limited amount of information. We only remember a few items. Mm -hmm. On that presentation that I attended from you, you mentioned multitasking. You also mentioned multitasking at the beginning of this talk with you. But in these days, in professional context, uh, multitasking is, I think, often seen as an asset. What is your opinion on, on this? 
Yeah, I really, I really like this question because I think you're completely right. I mean, I think the sort of the modern working environment sees the perfect employee as kind of this per- person who's really, you know, always available, responds fast to all the emails, is working on several projects at the same time, yada, yada, yada. And when people strive to be this perfect employee, they're often doing a lot of multitasking. So they're, you know, they have their email open so that they can hear if there's a new email pops up so that they can respond as fast as possible. And this might not be a great thing for the brain. There's some research that suggests that if people are doing a lot of this type of multitasking during out uh, during the day, that the brain, first of all, gets tired, people get tired, the brain always um, is sort of in a state of stress when it's mm-hmm. switching from one task to the other, which tires people out. But also it might affect people's ability to focus really on one task and get that task done. So we come become these sort of like grasshopper minds in a way. <laughs> so I mean, if, if you're at work and, and you want to do something that kind of requires a little bit of breathing room and some time to think like you're writing a longer report or an article or whatever, it might be a good idea to try to weed out any distractions from the environment because the brain is kind of inherently looking for something interesting and distracting from the environment. So you want to give it as little opportunity for that as possible. So just close all other applications that are open and tabs and you might even want to tell your coworkers that you don't want to be disturbed for an hour. Just try to give some space for the brain to be able to focus on just one thing. Mm-hmm. That is when you need to focus on one very important thing. Yeah, exactly. That, that is the case. <laughs> and are there special types of topics that make presentation even more challenging to follow uh, these, these principles that you just just told us? Well, I guess the most difficult situation is, uh, and what oftentimes is the situation, is that you want your audience to walk away from your presentation having learned or understood Mm -hmm. something. I mean, it's completely different to give like a speech at a wedding because that the point then is to be kind of emotional and touching and sincere and all of that. But in a, in a professional context, for example, if you're giving a presentation, you want to kind of teach the audience something that they don't already know. And this can be really challenging And, and my number one advice in that situation is for you to activate your audience as much as possible and to ta- challenge them to think about what you're saying, uh, give them some problems to solve, ask them questions, have discussions together, because this type of active learning always leads to better memory. We know this from countless st- studies. If, if your audience is just listening to you passively, they're not really thinking about what you're saying, they're most likely not going to remember much. So try to engage the audience as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And referring, my question was a lot of the type of topics such as you mentioned uh, engineers or for instance, what you do like research in the academia, there are topics that are harder to understand per se. What piece of advice can you give for these type of topics? Yeah, that, that's a good question as well, because I was struggling with this myself when uh, mm-hmm. I was giving this talk about the brain and presentations, because I was finding it difficult to kind of put myself in the audience's shoes. Like, okay, what do they most likely already know about this? 
And I was kind of thinking, okay, either this is going to be way too complicated and difficult for people to understand, or it might be that I would be stating obvious things and people would be incredibly bored. And it's actually really difficult for for us humans kind of to really step into another person's shoes and really think about how they're going to perceive this presentation. But it's a skill that can be rehearsed for sure. And and one good way of presenting something that's really complicated is making a lot of analogies. First, firstly, simplifying what you're talking about, but also uh, letting the audience know how this relates to something that they already know, something mm. that like a really mundane, like everyday example and how that relates to what you're trying to talk about. So that often helps people understand more complicated uh, topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, making the the connection with more concrete things. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Something that are more relatable to them. That's it. Mm -hmm. And now from the audience point of view, as, we, as you mentioned that it's common that you don't remember things, and even though you have a good feeling, you understood at the moment uh, that provokes some emotions, but maybe at the end of the presentation, the talk you forgot almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> what can we do in order to get the most from attending and listen to a presentation? I guess the best uh, thing to do is to kind of be a little bit selfish, like not just listen to what's being said, but think about it from your perspective. Like, what does this mean to me? How is this relevant to me? How is this going to help me? And in really concrete terms, like how am I going to utilize this information that I'm perceiving um, in my everyday life or in my work life or whatever? Because we know that the way that memory works is that if you're able to integrate new information into information that you already have in your brain, that's going to create a really, really strong memory. So that would be my number one advice. Mm -hmm. But in practice, I mean, uh, you, it means that you have to do something beforehand or like writing notes while listening to the presentation? Yeah, that's also a good idea. If you know what the topic of the talk already is, then write down questions for yourself. Like, what would you mm -hmm. want to know from this presentation? What what questions yeah. do you want answered? That's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea to do uh, in advance this kind of question that you're mentioning. Yeah, definitely. And during the presentation, you do this this connection also. If you are you're already listening something from, from the presenter, make the connection at that moment. Yeah. And also um, in advance, you can think about the topic like, okay, what do I already know about this topic? Like, what do I already know about the brain? Is what the presenter is saying, does that make sense to me? Is is is, is there something new? Is there something surprising? Or did I already know this? Mm -hmm. That's also something that you can do beforehand. But also during, definitely during the presentation, really try to make it personal to you. Yeah, absolutely. But do uh, before the presentation, if you do some research before seeing the the speaker, and during by making notes or making raising question yourself, you would be able also, for instance, to to make great questions at the end of the at the end of the the speech of the presentation, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm sure the others at the audience will uh, will thank you for that mm -hmm. and for making great questions. Mona, could you now share with us your favorite quotation? Well, I, I found a really qu good uh, quotation, actually. And this is by a neuropsychologist called Richard, Richard L. Gregory. And he said, One of the difficulties in understanding the brain is that it is like nothing so much as a lump of porridge. 
And I don't know if you've ever seen the human brain, but it does in fact look like this kind of pinkish reddish mm-hmm. blob of porridge. And and to me, that's it's endlessly fascinating how this just basically lump of tissue of cells mm. is able to um, think about itself thinking, it's able to build airplanes, it's able to love another um, lump of cells. It, mm. It's really astounding. And we're nowhere near even understanding how this is possible. Even the top brain researchers in the world, we're still struggling to comprehend how it's possible. So that that's really why I love this quote so much. <laughs> that's, that's quite correct what you say. And could you now recommend us one book that has particularly inspired or influenced you? Well, I think for anyone um, who's interested in in understanding how the brain works, One really good book is Steven Pinker's How the Mind Works. I don't know if you've read it. Mm. Is it a, is it commonly like read among people? I'm not sure, but it's a really popular book and Steven Pinker is like a god mm. to anyone studying brain or cognition and he he writes in a really understandable way, really interesting way. So that's one book that has inspired me and that I recommend to anyone wanting to learn more about the mind. Okay, sounds really sounds really good. And as you say, if it's um, written in simple simple words, yeah, it's it's really entertaining as well. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> so it's worth reading for sure. So it's like the having the brain with two with two legs, right? Yeah, this kind of <laughs> <laughs> this kind of uh, caricature that I saw on your, on your. I think I saw in your presentation similar. It's possible. <laughs> Now, could you share with us? An exercise, something practical that you recommend to do it daily or weekly as a routine to shine. Well, I personally uh, am a big believer in mindfulness training, even though it's kind of trendy and nobody wants to be trendy. But it's actually one of the only self-help techniques that has more and more scientific evidence backing it up. It actually really seems to have a positive impact on people's um, mental well-being and, and a lot of things. And I, I myself do that training every day, like 20 minutes of it. Uh, and it's really helped me in my public speaking as well, because the basic idea, I'm sure a lot of people are aware, but the basic idea of mindfulness is trying to be in the present moment and not think too much about what's going to happen next or what has happened previously. And that's really, if you're able to reach that state when you're giving a public talk, that's mm. the best feeling in the world because you really get to enjoy the moment. Um, it's something as simple as, the, in the most simple form, it's just concentrating on your breathing, just sitting in a quiet place, uh, letting your mind wander if it wants to wander, but then kind of uh, gently bringing it back to attending to your breathing and how it feels in the body to breathe in and out. And even when you're giving a public talk, um, you can just take a moment where you just take in a deep breath and do nothing but just concentrate on that breath. To you, it might seem like it's 30 seconds, but it's just a few seconds of time to yourself. No one else is going to notice. And it really helps bring you back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent piece of advice. Something that we often forget, and I think unless the speakers who really are have are very disciplined in, in write down the steps, the routine that they do for every presentation, they put one line like taking a breath before, just before the presentation. It's easy to forget, actually. For sure. And I know it makes a great impact if you if you calm down just before 
before going to the stage. <laughs> yeah, and even during, I think. Mm. And also because, um, or, or one good thing also is to take, take a moment to look at the people in the audience, like really just take in who is in the audience and kind of accept the fact that they're looking at you right now and you're in mm -hmm. the front of the stage, just accepting what it, that it is what it is. Because at least uh, for someone like me, who's really scared of public speaking, um, you're really scared of the fact that people are looking at you, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, you could kind of enjoy that feeling mm -hmm. as well. Sure, sure. You uh, you accept the fact, and and I guess you get more connected, also. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. connect to the people in the audience. That's it. Oh, excellent! Thank you very much, Mona, for this fascinating interview. Thank you. It was really fun. Thank you. <laughs> Great that you had fun. Finally, could you tell us how our listeners can learn more about you, your projects, uh, how to follow you? What are the best ways for that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so that would be the best way. Um, should I spell my name, I guess? So it's M-O-N-A is my first name. And my last name is Moisala, M-O-I-S-A-L-A. And you can send me email if you would like. It's just my first name, M-O-N-A dot, my last name, M-O-I-S-A-L-A at Helsinki dot F-I. Well, thank you very much, Mona, and all the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.